Well, I hope you've got a cup of coffee or a cold Dr. Pepper or however you take your caffeine. And I do hope you've got your Bible or if you've got your scripture journal, I want you to get those out and get that ready. And also at the time, at the end of this teaching, uh, we'll share in the communion. And so if you have the supplies for communion, if you've got um, crackers and juice ready to go, uh, we will go right from the message that I'm going to share right into our time of communion together. And I know that it's a little strange going, doing communion over, uh, over the technology and through a phone or through a computer, but um, I'm so grateful that we live in a time where uh, we're blessed to have this opportunity and take advantage of it this way, as opposed to just canceling all, all together. So I um, want you to grab, um, uh, grab, a, uh, grab your journal, and if you want, grab something to write with. And if you don't have one of these journals, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and get a piece of paper or something you can take notes on uh, because I think that'll help. This is going to be a little bit more just because of this format. I'm going to be a little more just in the teaching mode and going through this as instead of to pretend like it's a a full-blown sermon with an audience in front of me, but teaching together, learning together, growing together. And again, if you want, uh, jump onto the comment thread and uh, put your thoughts or your prayers uh, that you need. And if there's something that we can be praying for, we also want to give you an, an opportunity to do that. Um, and you can be submitting your prayer request either online at the end. I'll also give you a way that you can text message this in. Uh, at the same time, before we jump in, I'll let you know also these scriptures are available. If you go to westernhills.church, they're available under the message scripture and resources. And you will also find some discussion questions there. And so if you are in a gathering this morning, and then once this feed stops, uh, you can pull those up if your feed wants, if you're who you're with wants to work through some of those questions and those passages together, because we're going to cover a lot today. We've been looking at the life of Jesus through the eyes of Luke. And if you're joining us and you're not typically a part of the Western Hills Church, but you're joining this live feed because your church isn't meeting today, then I just want you to know that we've committed this year, 2020, into focusing on Jesus. And I've committed to preach about Jesus every single day, every single Sunday of the year. And the simple way to remember is we want to see Jesus clearly in 2020. And to get us started, we have been going on a journey through the Gospel of Luke and seeing Jesus through the eyes of this author, Luke, who did great research and talked to eyewitnesses to learn more about uh, who Jesus is and what he was about. And as we've been looking through those, we're reminded in each page that we're not just learning about who Jesus was and what he was capable of back then, but what he is and capable of now. And that's where Luke is pointing us. And the passage that we had set aside for today is going to begin in Luke chapter 8. And it's going to be in Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to start in verse 22. And what you need to know about this section is there's four stories right in a row. And I'm going to give you a narration through the stories. That's why I want you to follow along with a Bible open or your journal open or your, one of your apps turned on. I'm going to give you a a narration through this because we're going to pull out some of the highlights of it and move through some of it quickly. You're not going to go verse by verse on everything, but we're going to pull it out and look at some of them very uh, in what they're saying in the larger scope. Because Luke has a message for us. And this was the one, again, it was originally slated for today. And I think this is an appropriate one for us, an event and a crisis or a situation like what we're experiencing right now with the virus and the pandemic around the world because it talks about Jesus' power and what he has authority over. 
And so if you have your scripture journals, we're going to be on page 64, I believe. Make sure that's right. Does it give you the number? Yeah. We're going to be on page 64 and begin in verse 22. You can follow along and we'll put the headers to each section up here as I move, as I move through them. So the first one you're going to notice is talking about Jesus calming a storm. And what happens in the middle of the storm is fascinating. Jesus and the disciples, they're out on the, on the lake, and a storm rises up and comes very strong and, and starts to take the boat down. You need to understand that these guys were fishermen, and they'd been on this lake before, and they'd seen storms, and they knew to respect storms, and they knew to fear storms. Now, the strange thing is what Luke is going to tell us is that Jesus is asleep, in the back of the boat. So Jesus is not worried about the storm. And so they go and they wake him up, and they're concerned, they wake him up, and they ask, don't you care about us? And Jesus asked them this question. He says, where is your faith? See, I think you need to hang on to that question. So if you've got your, got your journal or your Bible open, circle that question, because Jesus is asking, where is your faith? And that's what this whole section of Luke, the one that wrote this, is pointing us towards. And he's getting us to wrestle with that question. Where's your faith? Who's your faith in? What's your faith about? And so it begins with this question with the disciples. And they've been following Jesus already. And so they've already been privy to some of the things and they've seen some of the miracles. And yet in this moment when the storm's raging around, their faith comes into question and one of the things that I would just encourage you to think about is oftentimes it takes a storm. Uh, it takes somewhat of a crisis for us, to get, for us to slow down and examine our faith again. And right now, there's crisis going on. Anxiety is running very high. And it may not be anxiety because you're particularly afraid of the virus itself. But obviously, just one trip to the grocery store and seeing some of the craziness that's going on there as people are trying to buy up supplies and, and hunker down for an you know, in, indeterminate amount of time. Or maybe you're watching the stock market. Is this fluctuating all over the place? And one day it seems like it's okay, and one day it seems like it's a crisis all over again. Or maybe you're in an industry that's going to be directly impacted. I think we're all going to be impacted on some level, but you may be in an industry that's going to be directly impacted by lower customers or not as much service coming through the shop or whatever it is because of this virus. And there's just high, high anxiety. And so we're in the middle of a storm. Your storm may have nothing to do with the virus. You may have already been in a storm prior to the events of this week and this previous months. But it takes that storm oftentimes. And we look around, we want to ask the question that the disciples asked and say, don't you care about us? What are you going to do about this? And so Jesus speaks into the disciples. He says, where is your faith? And then he says, where? Um, and then he speaks to the storm. And, and he gives words, and he speaks words out to the storm, and the wind dies, and the rain stops, and the lake becomes calm again. And that is so striking, the disciples turn to each other and they say, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him? Now they've seen him already do ministry. They've seen him do miracles. And yet even in that moment, they ask this question, Who is this that does that? Now that's a great question. And the fact that the disciples are still asking it means that it's okay for me to still have questions. 
It's okay for you to still have questions. In fact, I would tell you that it's only when you start to follow Jesus, then do you begin to even ask the right questions. And so just because you have questions, just because you're in the middle of a storm and you're wondering who this is that you've committed your life to, that's still a great question. Not a lack of a doubt. That's you growing and learning because even the disciples are going to be learning and growing on who they're following. And following Jesus brings more questions. In fact, it brings better questions. The more you follow, the better your questions are going to get because you're learning and growing in Jesus. But that's the first thing of faith that we get in this story. So just as soon as the, the things calm down and the waves calm down, they arrive on shore. And they arrive on shore in a place called Gerasene. And this is a, a place across the lake, across that small body, small sea that they call it, um, in that area. And what you need to know about that is there is in Gentile country now, meaning they're not with the Jewish people. And they've gone from a storm in one crisis situation. They arrive on the shore and they arrive in a cemetery. It's surrounded by tombs and from them the person that greets them is a demoniac. It's a man possessed with a legion of demons. And he's tried to be chained and the chains wouldn't hold him. So you need to picture a man naked with chains hanging off of him crazy hair, screaming at them in a cemetery, and this is what greets them. Suddenly the storm doesn't look so bad anymore. And Jesus encounters this demoniac, this one that's possessed by powers that he cannot see, that we cannot see with the human eye. And he speaks to him. Now what's, what's fascinating about that is when, when the demoniac sees him, the man with possessed with demons, he runs to him and in a loud voice he says, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? The man with the demons recognizes who Jesus is, so even demons bow and recognize the authority of who Jesus is. And then I love what Jesus says. Jesus looks at him and says, What's your name? Almost a very casual, not that Jesus can't recognize what's going on, but Jesus has definitely got the upper hand in here. He goes, you know who I am. I don't know who you are. You're too small potatoes for me. And so the man says, I am legion, which means I am multiple, multiple demons possessing this man. And they begin to beg Jesus because they know what power and authority he has. They begin to beg Jesus and they ask him to send him in these pigs instead of cast him to abyss. And so Jesus with just, just his power and his authority, commands that to happen. Then the pigs race down the side of the cliff and they drown themselves. Can you, can you imagine being one of the disciples watching these two events back to back? I mean, just right on the heels of one another from a storm to the demons. So if you're following along, what I want you to do is on Luke 8, 22-25, I want you to write power over nature in your journal or in next to the side of those scriptures. And then in the next one, I want you to write power over the demons. And Luke tells us something very specific. He says this happened in the area of the Gesserines. And so what's going on there is that the idea was that God's God, but he's over God over a certain area. And when Jesus goes out of Jewish territory and into Gentile territory, 
and he encounters this demon there and he can control this one and has power over it, he is given a signal that his God is not limited by borders and boundaries. But it is not a regional God, but he has global authority. Just like in the moment of this virus, it's, it's a global event. Jesus has global authority to command and do as he will. So power over nature, power over, uh, power over uh, the, the demon world, the spiritual world. And then the next passage begins in verse 40, still of chapter 8. And here we have two stories back to back or intertwined actually where Jesus is going along and a man named Jairus sends his servants because his daughter is dying and he wants Jesus to perform a miracle. And can you imagine the, the parental concern that you would have for your child? And so he believes that Jesus can do something. He's heard that Jesus has healed others and his daughter is very sick and so go please get Jesus and bring him here to heal my daughter. Well, while he's going, a woman that has been bleeding, having this discharge of blood for 12 years, and Luke says that, that no physician could heal her. And that's interesting to note because Luke was a physician. And so he's being very honest at that point and saying, this is something that's beyond our medical capability. She reaches out, as Jesus is going through this crowd, she reaches out to touch him. And when she touches him, she's immediately healed. Now Luke tells us, the daughter's 12 years old, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. And he's talking about this ongoing illness that she's been having. And he's connecting these two together. And so Jesus stops right in the middle of what he's doing. Now he's on his way to heal this young girl, and he stops right in the middle of what he's doing and asks this crazy question, who touched me? And all the disciples are looking around as I... What are you even asking? There's a huge crowd here. And he just holds his ground and says, Who touched me? And the woman knows that she's been healed in that moment. And so she confesses. And if you know that this is a powerful point because she looks at him and she looks at him and she is, is, realizes that he's looking now directly at her. And understand, if she's been bleeding for 12 years, that's put her outside of social categories outside of social gatherings. And so just like today, we're kind of spread out and far apart. She's been isolated now because she's unclean for 12 years. And now Jesus is looking right at her and he's asking, are you the one? And she acknowledges it. It says she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in his presence that she's the one that touched him. And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Can you imagine her hearing that word, daughter? That very intimate and relational word. Now he's on his way to heal a daughter. And now here he heals her and refers to her as daughter. And suddenly God comes very close. She's felt isolated for years and years and years. Hasn't been able to be with her family. Hasn't been able to be in worship. Hasn't been connected to anyone. And now she hears the word, daughter. And she's healed. And so I believe Jesus is healing more than just her physical body, but he's healing her spirit as well. Well, in the midst of this, and Luke gives the idea, because Jesus was delayed, messengers come from Jairus' house and say, don't worry, don't come. She's already passed away. And so Jesus goes to the house. He ignores the warnings. 
And he goes into the house and he says, Do not weep, for she's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they do what you and I would do. They laugh at him. Because it seems like he doesn't understand death. And yet, he's the only one that actually understands death. Because he knows that she's just sleeping. It's death to you and me. But in his eyes, it's just sleep. And so he goes to her and he tells her, Child, arise. And she comes back alive again. And he returns her to her family. So what I want you to write in this part, power over disease. Jesus has, is demonstrating his authority, authority over the disease, and then the ultimate one, the one that, that clinches who he is, power over death. Again, he's demonstrating to these disciples and to anybody paying attention, I have this power I have this authority. I have this power. I have this authority. And all these areas, and up to now it's been nature, the, the demonic world, it's been disease, and now it's even death. And I know this blowing their minds, and he's saying, this is who I am. I have power and authority over it. And now what he does is, the next thing he does is very incredible. He then shares his power and authority with them and sends out the twelve. That's in the very next part, Luke 9, 1 through 6. He sends out the 12 and commissions them to go, and then they have the, the authority to cast out demons and to minister to people with healing. He is sharing that with them. And what I find fascinating about them is they still don't fully grasp who He is, but Jesus is still willing to send them. He doesn't wait for them to have full knowledge and full understanding, be able to answer every question, but He sends them on, in His name with His authority to minister and change even before they would say they're ready. Now, I hope that encourages you because I know that encourages me as one that wonders, am I ready to minister? Am I prepared enough? And sometimes I want to go back and hide in preparation, say just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, and just a little bit longer. And what I'm doing is I'm delaying what God can be doing. And so the invitation that Jesus gives to them and then gives to us is even if you don't sense that you're ready, it's not your power anyway. It's not your authority that's going forward. It's not your knowledge base. But it's what Jesus is going to do through them as he shares and he equips them. So he sends them out. And then what I love in 7 and 9 is the fact that Jesus, that Herod the king, he starts hearing about what they're doing. Because now the 12 are out there doing this. And so this sort of really gets the, the viral news going. And so he even asks this question, he says, I beheaded John, but who is this about who I hear such things? So Herod is now asking the same question that the disciples asked at the very beginning. Who is this? And Luke has been building all these parts for the very next passage here. And we're going to read this part together because this, this matters. Well, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. The next thing after that, they get together. And they, Jesus is teaching again and a large crowd has gathered. And what's going on is that the teaching goes way into the evening and the crowd's hungry and they don't have food accessible at every turn like we do. They don't have drive throughs available. And so they begin to debate among themselves, how do we care for such a crowd? Because the word has gone out that Jesus can do powerful things. So they begin to clamor and the disciples, still not fully understanding what he's capable of, they say, we need to send him away. And Jesus says, no, we're going to feed him. And so he takes some loaves of bread and some fish. He takes basically a sack lunch. And he begins to multiply it. He gives thanks for it and he multiplies it. 
and they begin handing out one after the other, just keep handing out this food, and it feeds everybody. And at the end, Luke gives us in, this incredible statement. He says, they gathered up all the leftovers, and there was enough for 12 baskets one for each disciple to be carrying, 12 baskets of bread. And picture a small lunch basket, a lunchbox type basket. And they're gathering each of these up. And it very specifically says, 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread. Now I think what Jesus is trying to get them to see is here's a basket for each one of them to look at, each one of them to carry along the road with them, each one of them to be reminded that he has the power to do more than enough and he uses broken pieces to do it. So each of the disciples feeling broken, each of the disciples feeling inadequate, myself feeling adequate, you feeling inadequate, that just be remembered that Jesus does these miracles with his power and his authority and he uses these broken things to do it. So now we have him with power over nature, power over the demonic, power over disease, power over death, and even the power to conjure resources. And this is very relevant to us now as we feel like the grocery stores are running out. We want resources. We want somebody to come in and restock the shelves and be there. Now he's got the power over resources. You can imagine what the people were thinking. They were thinking, this is the one that's going to make it all right. He's the one that we've been waiting for because he has the power. If anybody is going to help us overthrow Rome, he's going to do it. Because any army that marches with him will not suffer defeat. Any army that marches with him will not suffer injury. If they do, they're healed. There's death, he resurrects them. If we run low on food and supplies, he does the magic trick. And so all of these questions are now swirling in their heads. And Jesus asked this thing, and this is where I want us to land, 9.18. He says this, he says, he goes out and prays. I think we have this. Do we have this? Um, we have chapter, uh, verse 9, 18. Can we put that up? He says this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, disciples were with him, and he asked them. Okay, now up to this point, they've been asking the question. He asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? What's this response. And they answered, John the Baptist but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of the old has risen. So the, the crowd is already playing the guessing game. He must be John the Baptist, because they remember John the Baptist so recently. They saw him preach and teach out in the wild, and he was kind of crazy, and he was radical, and they saw that. Or he's Elijah, one of the heroes of their faith, one of the prophets of old. And it says, so he must be one of these, come back to deliver us. Then the conversation goes on. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? See, again, there's their question from the beginning put right back to them. And Peter speaks first, and he says this, the Christ of God. Now, this word Christ, many of us think that's like Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus Christ. It's his title. And if you heard the word Christ or the word Messiah, that they're referring to the same thing. One is a Greek way to say it, and one is the Jewish way to say it. And both of them point to this idea of he's being the anointed one. So Christ, Messiah, anointed one, and you hear any of that language, it means that Jesus is the chosen one. He's the king. He has the power and the authority to rule. And so 
Peter and the disciples, they give the exact right answer. They've got the title right, but the problem is they don't have their expectations right. They don't have the job description right because they think he's about to change it all for them. And so, here we go on. Moving on to 21. So Jesus is about to turn the table, and he's going to go dark. They've seen nothing but victory after victory after victory. And watch what he says here, verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Now remember, they just got the answer right. Now why does he turn around and say it to no one? Because they don't understand what that means yet. They got the title, but not the job right. They got the title, but not the expectations right. And Jesus doesn't need false advertising out there. I mean, let's be honest. Jesus has suffered from false advertising and false expectations all through his history. And the church sometimes hasn't done a good job of holding up who Jesus actually is. And so we've made promises on his behalf or claims on his behalf that don't reflect who he is. And so he's saying, you need to understand what I'm about. And he's going to tell them right here. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Understand how strange this is coming from the guy that can perform all these miracles. Now he's talking about suffering. And he goes on. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes. Why is that important? Because right now it looks like everybody's with him. Right now it looks like he's got all the momentum going. And be killed. And this is where the disciples are really having to question who they are following. And then he tells them, and on the third day be raised, and they don't even begin to understand this in the formula. And so Jesus is saying the suffering's coming, and the job description that you think for me does not line up with what I'm about. Your wishes and my mission are not the same thing. So he continues on. He's going to go into this language of take up your cross. And look at this in verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell us to no one. And he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Pick up your cross daily. Now, that's a phrase that we've become very familiar with and comfortable with. This idea of picking up our cross. You need to understand when the disciples heard it for the very first time, nobody thought about the way we think about it. When we think about it now, it means victory and hope and overcoming all the darkness. Nobody thought about it this way. In fact, I heard this phrase this week, and I loved it. We wear crosses. They knew that crosses wore people. And the only time you saw somebody carrying a cross is you knew it's the last time you were going to ever see them. Because they were going to their death. There was no return. And here Jesus says, I want you to pick up your cross daily. And what he's saying is following me is not simply reaping all the good rewards in the comfort zone. But following me comes with a commitment and an understanding of who I am. And if you're actually going to engage in picking up our cross daily, we have to realize that what I want and what Jesus wants for my life will come in conflict at some point. And at that point, who gets to be king? Who gets to be in control? Who's going to have the power and the authority over my life? Will I wrestle for it or will I allow Jesus to have it? And that's what he means by picking up my cross daily and every single day making a decision. Who's in control? 
control. My wants, my needs, my desires, or will they come in submission to the one that I know controls the weather, controls the demons, controls disease, and can control death, and can create abundance if he desires, while I allow him to have control. So he finishes out this way. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. And when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. He's got this great paradox. If I seek to save my life, my temptation is to go pursue everything that I want. But he says, if you want to save your life, Scott, then you lay down your life and trust me. Pick up your cross daily. And in that act, I'm saving my life. How so? Because I am then entrusting my life fully to the one that demonstrates that he has the power to do far more with my life than I ever dreamed of. See, I, I want to be successful. I want to be effective. I, I want to serve well. But if it's all in my control, that is way too small. That is way too limited. So he's saying, you want to have life the way you were designed, the way you were created for? You want to have this abundant life that you'll hear us talk about at Western Hills often? The way to the abundant life is to lose yourself and find Jesus. Lay down your desires and pick up your cross and follow. And in that transaction... God creates you to be the full you that he imagined dreamed you to be. And in that pursuit, there is no regrets. There is no, no, I wish I would have. Because it's in his hands now. It's in his control. I, I know that, that this is a challenging time for, for us in many ways. But I believe that God has this message for us today because when it does seem like lots of hysteria is going either through the news or across the social media channels or maybe in conversations that you're having, this is a moment for us to show what it's like. We know who's in charge of the storm. We know who has not given up the throne. We know who has the authority to speak into this and be king. And as people that are willing to follow Jesus and claim to follow Jesus, this is a moment, this season is a moment and opportunity for us to be the light to the world that he calls us to be. And the way we do that is not because I'm going to become so concerned about me in this moment, but I'm going to be consumed with him. And I'm going to be concerned with him. And I'm going to be fulfilled by him. So pick up my cross every single day. And maybe in the conversations that we have, maybe in how I look out for a neighbor or for a loved one or go across the street, this is a great opportunity for us. Maybe you haven't even met your neighbors yet, but this is an opportunity for you to check in on them and see if they need anything. They may, they may be in need of something as simple as toilet paper with all the craziness that's gone on. 
and see if there's a way that you can be Jesus in that moment. Pick up your cross and serve. And that declares to the world that the coronavirus isn't in control. We're not pretending like some government's in control. We're not hoping that some, somebody else is in control. We don't know, think we're in control, but that Jesus is in control. The one with the authority and the power to claim it all. Well, we're going to go, we're going to share a time of communion. So I'm going to invite David Kelly to come up, and we're going to share a communion right here, and I encourage you to share it in your home. So if you've got the elements ready, I want you to, to prepare for them now. While we're going to communion, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions here. And I want you to be thinking about this as we share in this time together. David, you can come on, come on in and join us here. Um, who, what storm are you in right now? What, what's your storm? That's a question that maybe some of you need to wrestle with because you've been in a storm longer before we ever came into a coronavirus. But what storm are you facing right now in your life? And how do you need Jesus to step in that and demonstrate his authority? Or perhaps more for you is, is where do you need to recognize Jesus' authority? What area of your life do you need to acknowledge, I need to give him control of this. I've been trying to fight it too long. Or maybe for you, this third question hits, is what part, what does it mean to you to pick up your cross daily? What would that look like for you to fully commit to that? knowing that he has all the authority, he's king, and as a means of daily worship, you're picking up your cross and you're serving. Think about those. Share those maybe as we partake. David's going to say a couple words and lead us in, in a prayer, uh, first for the, uh, for the bread and then for the juice, and this will be how we share communion together. David?